0: Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 244 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend John Sicari. John, how are you today? doing wonderful
1: I really can't wait for this episode. This is some good stuff you got here.
0: Oh thanks yeah I think it is going to be a lot of fun so um, something a little different too Well pa- part of our 100 years of um, wonder that we're celebrating with Disney. This is first, true. first I wanted to start out by sort of giving a, a shout out to a friend of the show and and you know him as well John Jim Corcus. I I just learned today that he is going in for heart surgery. He's been under the weather. Apparently it's open heart surgery. And um, I've been concerned because I had sent him an email a few weeks ago. I hadn't heard from him, which was uncharacteristic. So, uh, but I've learned now the reason why, and also that his internet is not working. There's a technical issue going on at his house. So he's going to have surgery in a couple of days. So, you know all of us here at connecting with Walt, of course, are sending out our best and sending him pixie dust. We hope he has a, a quick and complete recovery. Um, I do too. yeah, surgery.
1: knowing Jim Corcus, he will be back better than ever in a few weeks or months.
0: I'm sure, and full of um, great stories as as well, so. Well, John, you may remember in the 1990s, the NBC television network used the advertising slogan, Must See TV, for its primetime television show lineup, especially for its Thursday night lineup. And for many of us, though, growing up in the 1950s and 60s, Must See TV was spending an hour with Walt Disney on Sunday nights. And today we are going to revisit that golden age of television with Walt, And take a look at some of Walt's most popular episodes as we tell his story over the next few episodes. So, John, did your family watch Walt Disney on Sundays?
1: Yes, absolutely. As a matter of fact, that's how I, when I was like five years old and they said, hey, we're going to Disney World, that's how I knew what it was, was from, you know, little pieces of that show in between the Mm -hmm. animals and trains and everything else that was on there.
0: Yeah, we did too. Although, you know, for a while he competed with um, the Ed Sullivan Show, which my oh. parents liked, so we had to sort of go back and forth. It depended oh. what Ed Sullivan's lineup was. <laughs> so, um, but because, like, I remember watching, um, you know, like when the Beatles debuted on American television oh, on the wow. Ed Sullivan Show, when I think I was in second grade. So, so, um, so we all tuned in for that one. So, But um, but to understand why Walt Disney became the first major Hollywood film producer to embrace television, we should take a quick look at the history of Walt and his company. So Walt began his career working for others. After driving an ambulance in France at the end of World War I, Walt returned home and began looking for work as an artist. He was hired in 1919 by Pessman Rubin. Commercial art studio, where he met Ub Iwerks, a very talented artist who would become essential to Walt's success. In 1920, Walt and Ub were unemployed and decided to start their own studio, which failed. So they were hired by the film ad company and worked on the advertising shorts that were shown prior to the films. So they would work on their own side projects, which became a series of comedic shorts called Laughsograms. And Walt and Ubb opened the Lafagram Studio, which went bankrupt in 1923. And Walt decided to go to Hollywood, and Ubb stayed behind in Kansas City. With his brother Roy, Walt opened the Disney Brothers studio and began producing the Alice Comedies. The studio at Roy's insistence would be renamed the Walt Disney Studio and Walt convinced his friend uh, to travel out to Hollywood and join the new studio. The Walt Disney Studio wasn't much more profitable than Walt's previous ventures, but it was staying afloat, barely. The studio had its first hit with Oswald the Lucky Rabbit cartoon series distributed by Universal Studios. In 1928, Walt and Roy made the unhappy discovery that not only did they not own the rights to Oswald, but most of their animators had been hired away behind their backs by Charles Mintz to continue the Oswald series without the Disney brothers. This was a turning point for Walt, and he vowed never again to work for someone else, and he would retain ownership of everything he created. He also paid a bit more attention to contracts. (laughs) Walt immediately began to work on a new character that he could deliver directly to distributors, and we are familiar with the story of Walt creating a mouse character bearing a striking resemblance to Oswald on a train from New York to California and being named Mickey by Walt's wife Lillian. Upon his return to his studio, Walt secretly assembled a team, including Ub Iwerks, to work on Mickey Mouse because the other animators were still there finishing up the final Oswald cartoon shorts before their departure. Three shorts were created, but Walt knew the future of films was sound, so the third Mickey Mouse short, Steamboat Willie, was synchronized to sound and music. Well, Mickey Mouse was a huge success and today represents the cornerstone of the Walt Disney Company. After Steamboat Willie, the standard for Walt was always to be pushing the cutting edge of technology and to push the boundaries of animation. Walt and his team would go on to create the first color cartoons and the first full length animated cartoon feature. The films Walt and Roy created were successful but expensive to make. Even after issuing stock in 1940 and raising close to $4 million for the company, they were soon back in debt. However, characteristic to Walt, instead of slowing down, Walt looked for more opportunities and new challenges. Walt and Roy set up their own distribution company, Buena Vista, and began producing expensive nature documentaries. And, you know, we see nature documentaries over all the time, but this was the first time anyone had produced nature documentaries. So Walt paved the way for National Geographic and, and other similar documentaries. Walt also began to consider an idea he had been having for an amusement park, but understood this was a gamble his company could not afford. To create his magic kingdom, a lot of financial maneuvering had to happen, and it was Walt who got the ball rolling. He funded a private company using a loan from his personal life insurance, but he needed more capital. So he set up another private company that owned the merchandising rights to his name. World War II had brought a halt to the new television industry in the United States, After the war, broadcasters hoped television would experience a rapid success. But their first challenge was to convince the American public that television was something they absolutely had to have in their homes. RCA owned the NBC television network and contracted with the Walt Disney Studio to produce The World in Your Living Room which would be a film praising the virtues and advantages of owning a television.
1: Wow.
0: But this film would not be produced. But it did give Walt and his team an in-depth look at broadcasting and programming. Walt followed the progress of this technology and in 1948 publicly stated his belief that television would be the best medium to promote films. As more televisions were purchased, Walt started to look into the possibility of entering the television market. At this time, every studio in Hollywood was debating the pros and cons of television and if it would make good business sense to enter into any agreements with the television networks. As Walt considered this question, He contacted a research firm, C.J. LaRoche, and commissioned a study to determine if it would be financially advantageous to enter the television market. The firm delivered their findings to Walt in September 1950. Now, Roy had serious doubts about having the studio involved with television. But once again, Walt decided to take a gamble and in November 1950, the studio announced their first televised program. Walt did take the advice of C.J. LaRoche, and instead of committing to a television series, which, if failed, could be disastrous for the studio and hurt its theatrical releases, decided to see how successful he would be with a one-hour television special. This would be broadcast on Christmas Day 1950 and would promote the studio's upcoming film, Alice in Wonderland. The show would be titled One Hour in Wonderland. Walt's first action was to select Bill Walsh to take charge of this television event. At the time, Walsh was a press agent and was quite surprised. Years later, he confessed that he never knew why Walt chose him for the job said Walsh. I kept bumping into him in the hall, which is not a bad place, or in the parking lot. So Walt, in his strange way, said, you, you be the producer of TV. And I always said, huh? But I don't have any experience of a producer. And Walt would always say, who does? (laughs) But, you know, that was Walt. He would see talents in people that they didn't see in themselves. Yep. And, and he would find the right role for them. C.J. LaRoche also suggested that Walt needed to be the host of any television show. But Walt decided it would be best to share hosting duties with a proven star. So Bill Walsh suggested one of his clients, ventriloquist Edgar Bergen, He had his own popular radio series and was looking to make a move into television. Bergen was immensely popular, and many columnists described the One Hour in Wonderland as a Bergen show with some help, in quotes, (laughs) from Disney. One columnist spent more time describing the new heads Bergen had created for his ventriloquist dummies than on Walt. Despite this, a majority of articles correctly stated that Bergen was a guest on what was clearly a Walt Disney production. Were you familiar with Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy? Johnny? Not at all. They were still around when I was a boy because they were in films and a lot of those films and TV series, because he had, he did get his own television series, were rerun when television in the early days was desperate for programming. So a lot of these early films and programs were syndicated. Um, How, where would you put Kukla,
1: Fran, and Ali in Edgar Bergen, like two years prior, three years?
0: Um, I would say they were probably around the same time. I would say Edgar Bergen was first. And okay. then Kukla, Fran, and Ollie, because they started in the fifties. I think they had a longer run, though. Okay. On television, the
1: oldest thing I've I've known was my mother showing me like older reruns of Kukla, Fran, and Ollie.
0: Yeah, and for folks who don't know, they were they were a husband and wife team who did a puppet show, and and it was and the, I think the main puppet was like a one tooth. Did you say he was a lizard or a dragon or I, something? I,
1: I I would have said alligator, but I think you're right. I think yeah. he was a dragon.
0: Yeah, and so uh, and so um, Fran would be the main person talking to Kukla and some of the other puppets, and and then um, and and Ollie. Ollie was the other one, a little round headed. Yes, yes, puppet. yes. Yeah, and and then the, and then her husband was behind the scenes. You never <laughs> really saw him. He he was the man behind the puppets. But Edgar Bergen was funny because he he was a ventriloquist who was perfect for radio because you could see his mouth move. Hmm. And um, but the personalities he gave to to Charlie McCarthy and the other, there were other puppets. He had a whole family of of these, these marionettes were um were uh, charming and hilarious. And that's what sort of – so you didn't really notice, you know, that he was a move in his mouth. And, you know, he was the father of, of actress Candice Bergen.
1: That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And as charming as Walt was, it sounds like Walt didn't know that he was being upstaged by this
0: uh, oh, these puppets well, and stuff. Ed, but Edgar Bergen was, was the star, a was a star, this, yeah. and that's why he had him. Why for. they
1: hired him, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, and and this is when Walt's daughters appeared on this show as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, one of the only times they were That's ever amazing. in front of the camera. So, together with their father. Interesting. So, yeah. Now, shortly after the television special was announced, a serious issue came up. Originally, the special was to be broadcast on CBS, but the network soon learned they could not guarantee it would be covered by the required number of stations specified in the contract and you might think who, who why would how could this be but the reason for this is because in the early years of television it was not uncommon for television stations to belong to two networks remember there weren't a lot of TVs in those days So NBC had convinced several of these stations to air their programming on Christmas Day rather than CBS's programming. So as a result, the show sponsor Coca-Cola moved the television special to NBC, who guaranteed that 62 stations would broadcast Walt's Christmas Day special. So at 4 p.m. on December 25th, 1950, Walt and his studio entered the age of broadcasting. One Hour in Wonderland was a hit with television audiences and critics. But it wasn't ratings alone that interested Walt. As he said back in 1948, he believed television would become the best medium for promoting films. An industry expert commented that the broadcast should be worth $1 million at the box office for Alice in Wonderland. Wow! Yeah, and that's that's a $1950, so that's quite a bit.
1: <laughs> and, and for children or young people listening, if you missed 4 p.m. on December 25th, 1950, Michael, do you know what would happen if you missed the show?
0: What? You
1: would not see it. No. You couldn't go anywhere and find it and repeat
0: it. It wasn't rerun. Although it was <laughs> filmed and it is available, you know, on Ooh. various DVD sets and things like that. So, so you, you, you can watch it.
1: Now. So, but not yeah, back then.
0: Now. Yeah. Not back then. You weren't going to see it ever again. That was the those are the days when uh if you couldn't watch a television show because you had to do homework <laughs> or something, your your parents would say, Well, you can watch it in the summer reruns.
1: Yep. And because, hope, it, hope you're home when it comes on.
0: Yeah. And, and you hope but, they ran that one because they didn't yep. run. Remember, uh, uh, in those days, the season was anywhere from 26 to 32 episodes. Yep. Well, the summer wasn't 26 or 32 weeks long. <laughs> so they only showed certain episodes and reruns
1: have so to you check have- the tv guide
0: yep that's right
1: remember the tv guide yeah. oh yeah that?
0: oh yeah it's still around
1: it is still around yeah
0: <laughs> but not like in order was. to find
1: out what was on you would you would go to a, a subscription book that would come to your house and it was the tv guide
0: that's right or you'd look up um in the newspaper it would have the television listings for that day
1: oh okay i didn't know yeah. that
0: yeah now, after the success of One Hour in Wonderland, all three networks approached Walt about a weekly <gasps> series.
1: Oh, look at that. I mean,
0: there were only three networks in those days, ABC, NBC, and CBS. However, Walt was thinking about how to finance his amusement park and saw the networks as a financing possibility. ABC executives were not interested and compared Walt's idea to Coney Island. <sighs> So now I have not been to Coney Island, uh, but I think it, it, back then it was just a traditional amusement park.
1: It's still, I mean, it's a, you know, it's piers with rides, carnival type mm-hmm. rides. I could see how somebody who uh-huh. doesn't know any better listening to Walt might just put theme park as a theme park as a theme park. Yeah. But uh, they really well, didn't have vision. And, if they and think theme
0: parks like, didn't really exist in those days, you know, so. Yeah. um, Now, NBC and CBS said pretty much the same thing. And even Walt's brother, Roy, did not share Walt's enthusiasm for Disneyland. Walt could have signed a contract with a network for a series without a tie-in to financing his park. But he knew that if he did, he would never be able to use the networks as a source of financing. Another concern Walt and Roy had about signing a contract for a television series was that it seemed beyond the capability of the studio at the time, along with their ambitious film schedule. To commit to a 26-episode series would mean hiring additional staff and tying up studio resources. Was the success of The Special due to the fact that this was the studio's first television production? and would a regular series be as well-received by the public? A series could fail, and this was a concern. Rather than giving up on television, Walt decided to produce another one-hour special to see if it would be as popular as the first. The show would also promote an upcoming film release and air on Christmas Day. This time, the sponsor would be Johnson & Johnson, which agreed to put up the required $250,000, making it the most expensive television program to be produced up to this time. The studio would receive $150,000, and the remaining funds would be used to buy time on the network and for publicity. The contract was signed. Now the studio had to find a network to air the special. CBS had suffered a loss of face and revenue when it lost the first special to NBC and the network was determined for it to not happen again and convinced enough stations to air the program.
1: Mm.
0: The second special, titled The Walt Disney Christmas Show, aired on Christmas Day 1951 at 3 p.m. and promoted the upcoming film Peter Pan and the reissue of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to theaters. This time, Walt hosted the show himself, leaving no doubt this was his show from start to finish. And it was a hit. Despite the success of the two television specials, Walt and Roy were very much aware that they were little more than thinly disguised commercials for their films. They were concerned that not only would a regular series require new programming, It could also impact theatrical sales. The executives of other Hollywood studios shared this concern and were watching with interest what Walt and Roy's next step would be. To allay their fears, Walt made it clear the studio's first commitment was to theatrical releases. Walt committed the studio to spending $20 million over three years on many new projects to include three all cartoon features, two all live action features, a minimum of six true life adventures featurettes, and 18 shorts uh, in the year. The studio did participate in television projects produced by other companies, such as a nine-minute featurette on the making of Peter Pan for the CBS Omnibus series, which aired on December 28th, 1952, and an episode of Ed Sullivan's Toast of the Town in 1953, dedicated to Walt Disney. From all outward appearances... Walt appeared to lose interest in television, and he turned his attention to his Disneyland project. So the next television special he would produce would be for the opening of his park on July 17, 1955. But as the scope of Walt's plan for his park grew, so did the cost of building the park. Walt knew he needed outside financial partners, and his mind turned back to television. Since the airing of the second Christmas special, Roy had been fielding offers from television networks for series, and there were some deals that came close to succeeding. Roy was concerned that a series may be considered too self-promoting, and he wanted to have some sample shows to bring to the networks for bargaining purposes. So Roy asked Bill Walsh, who had written the first two Christmas specials, to prepare samples of possible television series. On August 6, 1953, Walt was in New York meeting with network executives when he received five proposed scripts from Bill Walsh for a half-hour series titled The Walt Disney Show. Walsh also included ideas for eight additional shows. Walt liked these so much, he asked Walsh to write 33 scripts for the series. Many of the existing scripts indicate that the studio would use its existing animation to create episodes. For instance, an episode titled Fables would use animation from The Ugly Duckling and Johnny Appleseed. If the networks rejected the Walt Disney Studio, the show the studio had outlines for three other shows. The Mickey Mouse Club TV show. This was to be a daily show, and one of the first times Mickey Mouse was suggested as the theme for a children's show. The True Life TV show, and this would be a 30-minute series about animals from around the world using the same format as the True Life Adventure theatrical featurettes. And the World of Tomorrow, this series would educate viewers about the world around them using animation and live action sequences in a bit of a humorous way. Although all the networks were very interested in a series deal with the Walt Disney Studio, none of them were interested in financing Disneyland. Walt and Roy made it very clear from the beginning that Disneyland was central to the package they were offering. No park, no show. Mm. CBS was the least interested. Besides not wanting to finance Walt's highly speculative park, they wanted Walt to produce his series using their color system. CBS and NBC both developed their own color broadcasting systems, and the government left it up to the marketplace to determine which to use. Walt was not impressed with the CBS color system, which utilized a rotating wheel inside each television set to produce a fairly primitive color image. Thus, talks with CBS ended.
1: Okay, there is so much interesting stuff going on there. Mm -hmm. just the fact that you know aren't we thrilled that he kept you know hey if you want this package you got to finance the park otherwise we're not doing it imagine if they were just a little bit like all right i guess we'll we'll see what happens there may be no disneyland
0: that's right
1: color wheel imagining that there's a color wheel inside a television really is primitive. I mean, you're not going to get the colors exactly where you want them at exactly the right time. Okay, this is very interesting.
0: I'm thinking of those color wheels my my mother had uh, for the Christmas tree.
1: Did you ever see those things? Yes. Uh Yes, yeah. I bet you it was similar.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I think I I still have one up in the attic. So
1: (laughs) I kind of feel black and white TV would be better than that color wheel thing.
0: You know, it used to be funny. There was this, when when they had all those merchandise catalogs. You know, everybody knows about the Sears one and the Sears M- wish book. Yeah. But there was one, my mother used to buy stuff from it all the time. The Lillian Vernon catalog. Oh yeah. And I used to love the thumb through it. We'd get little, that's where my mother would get a lot of the stocking stuffers for Christmas. through Lillian yep. Vernon and, and stuff for the kitchen but they had something on uh, that you could how to make your black and white tv color and it was just this plastic vinyl thing with colored stripes that you would just place on no, your television and they even had somewhere you could put it on your tv and then it would come with markers erasable markers so you could actually color the picture yourself the television. that's pretty funny isn't that funny so yeah. that's how primitive things were back in the day. Oh. So. Now, ABC expressed interest, but Walt turned his attention to the much larger NBC. RCA, who owned NBC, wanted to attract new viewers to NBC with the goal of selling more television sets. And NBC thought if they offered children's programming, it would result in additional sales of RCA televisions. The negotiations were so serious between the Walt Disney Studio and NBC that Walt and Roy actually considered a merger with RCA. Despite their disastrous experience with Universal Studios and Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, Walt was so committed to his idea of Disneyland that he considered risking his studio to gain the financial investment he needed to build the park. This wow. astonished me when I read this.
1: You would think he wouldn't go anywhere near them with a 10-foot pole. No. no but, but he wanted He wanted Disneyland he,
0: band. He, he wanted it. He was committed to building that park. So after many months of negotiations, Walt and Roy decided they needed an answer from NBC. So after receiving word that General Sarnoff, who was the head of RCA, was ready to sign a deal, Roy flew to New York. After Roy arrived, it turned out his travel was a waste of time, as RCA asked for more time. Wow. Roy was reportedly so disgusted, he picked up the first phone he found and called Leonard Goldenson, the head of ABC, and asked him if he was still interested in a television deal. Goldenson's response was, Roy, where are you? I'll be right over. ABC was the smallest of the three networks and had up to this time only two moderate hits, The Lone Ranger and The Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet. And ABC hoped for a major success if they could sign a deal with the Walt Disney Studio.
1: So I guess hearing him on the phone, this Goldenson gentleman just knew there was an opportunity to strike a, a better deal than he had in the past because they were not satisfied with what was going on with RCA.
0: Mm-hmm. I guess so. Very
1: interesting. Yeah. Very interesting.
0: It took a great deal of negotiations before the first show would air. As Roy worked to settle the financial arrangements, Walt had to determine the format of the series. Goldenson wanted a series for adults and one for children. Walt presented a handwritten reference, outlines for an adult-focused series titled Disneyland which would have a combination of guest stars clips of films from the studio's vault and special TV programming the notes were sufficient for Goldenson and the deal was made the cost to ABC was significant a 7-year contract valued at 35 million dollars with licensing fees for each episode at 50,000 dollars Additionally, the network would own a 34% interest Mm. in the park. This deal also provided ABC with the right of first refusal for any other television programs the Walt Disney Studio may produce. This clause in the contract would be the focus of a legal battle between the Walt Disney Studio and ABC in just a few short years. Wow. Rumors of the deal between Disney and ABC began to leak in March 1954. The deal and the theme park were formally announced on April 2nd, 1954. ABC's president, Robert E. Kittner, announced, Walt Disney is undoubtedly the greatest creative force in the entertainment field today. His entrance into TV marks a major and historical step forward for the industry. ABC is very proud of the privilege of working with the Disney organization, which will bring a new conception to television, unquote. Most in the film and television industry were taken by surprise and closely watched what Walt would produce. Now the studio had to finalize the format for the Disneyland television show. It had to be able to switch topics each week to promote the new park and upcoming films. It was determined that an anthology show would best suit this need. In the early days of television, anthology series had proved to be very popular. Walt's primary objective for the show's programming was that it should be a link to Disneyland the park, so he would have to have the series rotate topics based on each realm of the park. Many staff meetings were held to plan the format and episodes. And in addition to planning for the new television show, Walt's team also had their slate of films to produce and a theme park to plan and construct. In a meeting on March 19th, 1954, Walt outlined his vision for how the show could entertain viewers and promote the studio and the Disneyland theme park. Quote The format of the show is America. We can mingle fantasy, we can dream, and be fantastic. There is no one over here telling us we cannot. I think this is part of America. We can show Frontierland and Main Street as part of that heritage. We may present something special for Thanksgiving, Christmas, or Easter. We could have a guest day for everyone who has worked for us. Perhaps they could bring their own children. One example, Benny Goodman and his child, unquote. Of course, Benny Goodman at that time was a very famous big band leader. So ah. who, would, who would perform at Disneyland after it opened? Okay,
1: I've heard his name many times uh, from my mother. Yeah. Was he? Did he have something to do with The Tonight Show?
0: Um, I don't believe so. It may have, been, may have appeared on it. Okay, but there was a Benny Goodman Orchestra somewhere. Oh yeah, there was a Benny Goodman okay. Orchestra. Um, you know, okay. mainly um, swing music and big okay. band music from the forties okay. was what he was most popular for. It's funny. My my parents had his albums and all. They would listen to them, and we thought it was sweet. They would sometimes dance. and music it had these thick, you know, those records that plan that ran. It. Yes. You know, that in super fast speed. And it's funny. I didn't care for that music at time. But now, as I grew older, I really developed an appreciation for swing and big band.
1: Da-da, and da-da, now da-da. I
0: love it. Just love yeah. that era of music. It. I mean, the compositions were so complex.
1: They were. And
0: all that. I, I remember, remember my mother
1: doing the Lindy. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so... When Card Walker, who was in the story department and u- unit manager's short subjects, expressed concern about the number of episodes they had committed to ABC and the potential of falling behind, Walt said, Let's plug everything we can. For our benefit, have 18 or 20. I'm thinking of four organizations or possibly five. One could be working on 20,000 Leagues, another could be on Lady, and we could pick up two units for the Disneyland show. Now, the Disneyland show was the title of the series' first episode, and Walt intended to introduce Disneyland the theme park to the public and promote future episodes of the series. Concerns were raised about revealing too much about the park when the site for the park had yet to be settled with the city of Anaheim. Although Walt had made it clear to everyone at the studio that the purpose of the series was to promote his new theme park and upcoming films, this intention had not yet been shared with ABC. (laughs) (laughs) A meeting was scheduled to work out the many details, such as the amount of advertising to be sold for each episode and the show's time slot. Ward and Carl Walker first met with their advertising consultants to work out how they could quickly grab the audience's interest at the beginning of each episode. Nate decided on showing a brief teaser at the beginning of what would be in the episode. This became the standard for Disney programming to interest the audience in watching the programming before the opening credits and before they could switch channels.
1: I want to say I've seen this still in use today. Uh huh. Sometimes before a documentary, they'll show you so much of it to let you know the beginning, the middle, and the end before yeah. they start. It.
0: Yeah. Well, and even think of some of the situation comedies and things that are still on NBC, ABC and all that. Yeah. They will show a little snippet and then roll into – the um, theme song, or whatever it might be, with the opening credits.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah,
0: they still do it. I'm uh, thinking of the Connors. Yes. They, they do that, you know, because that's that. one of the few ABC programs I think I, I watch. So then came the meeting between Disney and the ABC executives. Walt described his concept for the series and outlined the overall format. Each week would have a theme tied to the themed lands being built in Disneyland, and there would be other episodes utilizing Disney cartoons and new programming featuring American heroes, behind-the-scenes previews of upcoming animated and live-action films, and updates on the construction of Disneyland. Well, the ABC executives listened very carefully to Walt's proposal. Walt's concerns about their reactions were relieved when Robert E. Kittner said, It is a very exciting concept. I I think this would be great. I accept it. Later in the meeting, Kittner told Walt, I hope you have a large mail department. This was Kittner's way of telling Walt to expect lots of fan mail in response to the series. Now it was time for Walt and his team to begin work on the first season. With all of the planning, the studio had not yet settled on one very important decision. Who would be the host of the Disneyland series? Several options had been considered, including rotating well-known actors or hosts, or just use an off-screen narrator for the the show. Walt made a decision on May 25, 1954, during a story meeting for the episode to promote Lady and the Tramp. Walt said, "'I don't consider myself an actor or anything, "'but in trying to get a hold of these things, "'I can introduce them, get them going. "'I'm myself, good or bad. "'I'm still myself, and that will be the gimmick. "'It's the safest bet to get underway. "'Then later we can develop ways "'and other people can take over. "'If we overuse me, I'll be the first to recognize it. "'I know my limitations.'" If it's right for me to be talking about it, if it's my business, I can talk about it. It's what we do here at the studio, the group, the individuals, and the staff. It would be no problem to do that. We've been avoiding it, but I think I have to do it until we've established other personalities that mean something to the audience. Despite Walt saying he planned to hand off the hosting duties, he remained as host of the series till his passing in 1966. The closest he came to giving up his hosting duties was for the Nature episodes, when Winston Hibbler introduced and narrated the segments. However, even then, Walt introduced the episode and closed it out with a look at next week's episode. Television audiences' immediate reaction to Walt as host were positive. In spite of his success as host, Walt was never comfortable with it, and once said, I'm as big a ham as anyone, but actually it's an ordeal for me to be in front of the cameras. They wanted me to smile, to be warm. All I could see was that cold eye of the camera and the glum faces of the crew staring at me. (laughs) But all the public could see was the warm, welcoming nature of Walt. His friendly attitude helped audiences accept not only Walt, but all things Disney. To millions of people, he was Uncle Walt, ready to share Disney magic with a smile through our television screens. In our next episode, we'll continue our story with the filming of the Disneyland series and its debut.
1: You know, Michael, this gets me to thinking. As a child, watching Walt, why we were immediately enraptured by him and felt like he was a caring uncle. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it. You could say it was his face. You could say it was his personality. You could say it was his voice. And I'm. I think it was just all of those things. There was something about Walt. And then your parents telling you that that's the man that made Mickey Mouse. So now we love Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. We think this guy is great. Now he's created. Mickey Mouse, you know, he's above Santa Claus to me at this point. Then you start to see castles and lands that he's creating and he immediately becomes your most favorite person in the world to watch on TV.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, and even though he would talk about how things were made and people and you know, and they worried about would this ruin the magic? It increased the magic. 100%. I mean to to see all of that. And yeah. and he had such a down to earth you know homespun that 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 midwestern um i don't know persona that he had you know he he never came off as this m- m- hollywood studio mogul
1: never. you know
0: and he just connected with people
1: yeah there was never a, i'm better than you and even though technically he was he was you know, into Hollywood and creating it, but he never once made you feel that that he felt that he was better than you. He never talked down to you, ever.
0: You know, that is key. And that is, and he felt, he never talked down to you. He was never afraid to ask questions, but he always felt that um, if, you know, if he if he wondered about it, then everyone else wondered about it. And, and so he was, he was right. able to then turn around and explain it. You know, in a very natural way that was understandable. But um, but you're right. I think that was a key to Walt, was that he never talked down the people. And I think that some of his successors, um, we can't say the same thing about that. I agree. You know? So um but yeah I think the I I think even today the success of people accepting all things Disney even though they were born after Walt it still all goes back to Walt it still yeah. resides in that 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 magic that he was able to share in such a natural way it still carries on even though people might not consciously recognize it it's still a part of what makes Disney, Disney.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, I we agree. still might not care for maybe how the studio is making decisions, but I think still that heart and persona of Walt is still there.
1: Enough that we recognize when it's, when it's fleeting mm-hmm. or leaving. Yes, mm-hmm.
0: yes. And as long as people who work for the company recognize that and capture that, it's not going to be lost. I agree. You know, so. so I'm looking forward. This, when I started reading about this and reviewing it, I found this topic fascinating. So we are going to explore Walton television over the next few episodes. And I and I hope listeners, as you come along with us, you're going to find this as fascinating as, as John and I are finding it.
1: Yeah. So. I'm sure there's going to be another episode, you know, another episode where, at some point, Walt suggests something and everybody has doubts. And I'm waiting for the day where they just realize, stop it. Look at this man's track record. If he's going to create it, you know, stop doubting him. But I think wasn't it at the end where he says, you know, and in, in one of his later interviews, I'm sure he said, I think that, you know, people realize that Disney's right. You know, mm-hmm. quality will out, something oh, like that.
0: That's when he got worried. I think there was so- – Somehow, Roy finally came to that conclusion that Walt yes. was right. And that's when Walt became worried. <laughs> he that's said great. something like that. He says, okay, when my brother starts um, thinking I'm doing the right thing, I think I have to step back a little.
1: <laughs> that's great. Yeah. yeah. That's great.
0: But now it's time for this week in Disney history. Well, I think it's, it's my turn this week. And, and I'm sort of going here with a theme. Um, um, I looked at February 9th, 2006. And this is when, and, and John, you might remember when this happened. The Walt Disney company reacquired the rights to Oswald the Lucky Rabbit back from DC yes. Universal because they, Universal had still owned the rights. And, and it was because they were negotiating with ESPN. And so, Bob Iger, as part of all of these negotiations, saw an opportunity to get back Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, you know, Walt's original, one of Walt's original creations, because he saw the Alice comedies as his original. So the rights were obtained as part of the transaction. And (laughs) as part of this, they traded away Al Michaels, who was a play by play analyst. They traded him away to NBC. In order to get the rights to Oswald. And <laughs> reportedly, Al Michaels was very bitter about this. And he said in an interview, how, yeah, I was traded away for a rabbit. <laughs>
1: that, is, that is funny that a cartoon had something to do with your trading.
0: Yeah. But also, I heard the story from um, Diane Disney Miller that Rob, Bob Iger then um, contacted her. And said, "We've brought Oswald back home," and that meant a lot to her. That's that, amazing that he did that. And the and what was nice is when they, you know, when they redid um, Disney California Adventure and created Buena Vista Street, Oswald was a character. You could meet Oswald, and they had the Oswald ears. For the longest yep. time, I have some somewhere in this room. I, in my, I've studio.
1: never seen Oswald myself in Walt Disney World. He's he may have been there, but I've never seen him. I'd know. love to see. Oswald.
0: And and unfortunately, Oswald took a hiatus for a while. He wasn't on Buena Vista Street, which I think is a shame. But then, um, but now for the Lunar New Year year of the Rabbit, they've brought back Oswald um to california adventure because that's where we do our different um holiday celebrations there that's great um cultural celebrations and they brought back his girlfriend who's a cat which is an interesting interesting union there and um, so she's there as well so uh, so something to definitely try to get your photos if you visit california adventure with oswald um, when you're there so so what did you choose for your item? I've
1: got February 5th. You might even know it if I tell you the date. 1953 was the 14th animated film. Can you guess? Opens at the Roxy Theater in New York City. You Peter know Pan. Correct.
0: I knew Bobby you were going to choose oh, this. And I saw this. I thought John is going <laughs> to choose this. And so I steered clear of it. Yeah.
1: And there's there were so many to choose, too. So that's funny that you thought that. Uh, what's funny is something else you mentioned in the story today. This was the final uh, f- feature distributed through RKO. By the end of 53, there was Buena Vista distribution mm-hmm. which Walt had made himself so he would distribute his other films. This was the Peter Pan was the last one to be distributed by RKO.
0: Yeah. Is Peter Pan one of your favorite films?
1: Yes. And it, you know I watched it again within the past 4 years mm-hmm. and it still lived up. I was a little shocked with some of the Tinkerbell uh attitude and I was like, "Oh, wow!" She's
0: snippy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She
1: she was almost almost murderous. What? Well, yes. Really? I was like, she "Oh, was. <laughs> that's a little crazy." But I do I do love it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I do too. And there, you know, there are some things that are questionable today in it. Nate, so we yes. have the yes. disclaimer there, but it's something you can easily discuss with your children. Open up a conversation Correct. about that. But I'm glad that they still have kept the film, and. Um, you know, I always wonder if they're going to update the attraction to deal with, you know, change out some of the scenes in there. I know, I'm going to but, miss some of that. Yeah. But um, I think it's a delightful film. Absolutely. It is one of my favorite films. Thank and you. even, and, and also just from an animation standpoint, oh, the Pixie beautiful. Dust, I mean, there's a lot of nice special effects. The, the well.
1: music in particular of Peter Pan mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the dun, 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 those sounds that you just live with you beyond the film that and immediately just,
0: uh, yeah immediately, immediately you know what it is the yeah. shades and and, and, the, and the emotions and all that. And it's yeah. interesting because that was also the era when the music was a, a, a lot of choral groups. Okay. You didn't have a lot of the solos, you know like you do today when you think okay. back to the so- like Sleeping Beauty. And you know it was a lot of choral in that, and Peter Pan was one of those. Cinderella was another one. You know, Cinderella yes. did have, and the mouse, the mice did have theirs, but um, but there, and you don't hear a lot of choral singing in in the films today. True, it's mostly the different characters all have their their, like their um, songs. Their songs. I think yeah. it's a lot of that's because of stunt casting with the voice actors. They all have to, I'm sure it's in their contracts. They all have to have their big song and all that. And then it has to be something nominated, just worthy to be nominated for an Academy Award and all that too. So, you know. That's 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 a good one. Yeah, I love Peter Pan. Thank you. That's fun.
1: I I could wait on the line and not be too annoyed because of that, you know, you uh-huh. just listen to it. It
0: is, it's so lyrical and so upbeat. It really is. You know, it is. it's it's really nice. So but and and what other there are not many attractions where you fly. That's what's cool about that one too. Yeah. I mean you really feel the movement that you're flying uh, of the that
1: whole ride ships. is just yeah. even the when you're just, just bursting out of the window. ah. Uh, I just wish it lasted like 20 times as long I guess yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and every time you see the city, I mean you know how it's done and you know it's it's still adorable when you when you lock eyes with a car and see it moving down there, you know you're just like, oh that's great
0: yeah yeah I don't I, I'm not as happy with the updates they made to that attraction as okay the see other. I, I haven't
1: seen the updated Disneyland ones because so yeah. I want that for
0: us in Walt well, Disney World. But yeah. you expected more? Um, yeah, I did. Because I thought that, like, I didn't like what they did with the city scene as much. Okay. Although it, you want to look at Big Ben as you go by. There is a really neat special effect there that's f- okay. straight from the film. And oh, so, nice. uh, and, you know, there's, so, there's some things that are well done, but um, I don't know. I don't like the flying over the city. I, I've, I like the previous version of it better. Okay. So, um, but otherwise, it's still a wonderful, wonderful attraction. So, oh, thinking of Disneyland, did you watch the Disneyland live stream the other day, kicking off Disney's 100 Years of Wonder celebration?
1: Not yet, but I have it in my repertoire to do it. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, well, then I won't ruin it for you. I did watch it, I sort of watched it as I multitasked.
1: Were um, you happy with what you saw? I,
0: I wasn't a big fan of it. I thought it was way too much talking. Okay. I wanted to see more of what was going on. And instead they just showed little clips of things and there was just trying to entice you to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, but like they had a segment on food and they had all this food out there and the has participated in food segments with Disney. They didn't talk about most of what was out there. And then they uh-huh. cut away and then cut away and, and read what was comments in the chat. I can if I wanted to read the com if I wanted to hear the comments <laughs> in the chat, I would read them. I don't care what they're saying. Don't <laughs> waste my time reading them. I want to go back because some of that food looked really good. And I wanted to hear more about that. I'm and surprised
1: they didn't have a chef showing the dishes explaining what they were. They did.
0: Were. They did. They gave them like one minute at most. Wow. I was wow. really surprised. And, and again, they, the little clips they showed of the fireworks showing World of Color were brief. They sh- you guys showed more on our Walt Disney World show okay. on Tuesday of, of those than, than they did on it. So, um, so I was a little disappointed with that aspect of it. But it was entertaining, you know, and I don't know who the guy who narrated it was, and uh, the first his first name is like Juju or Voodoo or Woo Woo or something. I don't know. <laughs> he was very animated, and I guess he'd been a former cast member at Disney California Adventure. But I thought, who names their child that? And so, <laughs> I could, and Ooh. he must have said a dozen times it was his birthday. I don't know if he was hoping they were going to bring him a cake. <laughs> Or what? But I thought, okay, we know it's your birthday. We've that it's your birthday. Yeah. So um, anyway, I think they finally so was the streaming.
1: Mm-hmm. Is this on Disney Plus now? Reach the streaming.
0: I don't know if it is or not. I watched it on okay. streaming, and they had some technical issues. So um, I know it's on YouTube. I've seen it. It's now in my okay. YouTube feed. I know it's there. So um, anyway. But, uh, and, and also speaking of, so anyway, let me know what you think when you watch it. Maybe I'm being too harsh, being too critical, but I have would have liked to see more of the park. And I don't even think they got into merchandise at all, which really surprised me. And mm-hmm. um, anyway, I mean, maybe they did, and I just wasn't paying attention at that point. But, um, but they had the Design Ambassadors. They did trivia, you know, which was fun, but, you know. I can't believe they went
1: to the chat filler. room on their- they went to their chat room on more their streaming
0: more than once. Yes.
1: Wow, that's just that sounds odd.
0: Yeah, yeah. They did show the Disneyland band at the end. That was nice, and they had the Dapper Dance, and that was and that was more of the stuff I wanted to see. You know, so that kind of stuff. So, oh well. But we should talk about uh, the dis event. So, I'm talking about Disneyland, the Diz is going to Disneyland.
1: Did they give? I I didn't hear many. I've heard like a few things, but not many details.
0: There's not a lot of details. If you actually, if you go to the dis boards, go to the, the, um, the podcast thread or on the dis boards, and it talks a little about it. The, it goes from August 4th to August 6th, 2023. And the, there's, go, the, there's an event inside Disney, California adventure where, and they're they've rented out, um, the Diz has rented out Pixar Gardens. And Ooh. so from 9 p.m. to 11.30 p.m., there's a private reception at Pixar Gardens. There will be food, beverages, and exciting guests. We don't know. Now, there's not a lot of details yet. Um, then from 11.30 to 1 a.m. is the Pixar. Is, there's a private Pixar peer Party just for Dizzer's. And you'll be able to enjoy unlimited um, rides on the following tractions like the Incredicoaster. I've not yet r- ridden the Incredicoaster. I read it when it was wrote Cal- it when it was California Screaming, Toy Story Midway Mania, which I love, Pixar Palaround, um, which is the giant uh, merry-go-round with the Mickey's head on it, um, Inside Out emo- emotional whirlwind. I wrote I rode that when it was in Bugs Land. It was flixed, okay. Fun Wheel, or I don't know what it was called. It's fun. Jesse's Critter Carousel, which is right next to Toy Story Midway Mania. And then I've never been on this, Silly Symphony Swings. Maybe this, maybe I'll actually ride it. If listeners can entice me to go on this, I get motion sick. So I've been afraid to go on this, but maybe I'll do it.
1: I want to go with Mary Jo on the Ferris wheel that swings out like Coney Island so I can scream and be scared and see if she uh, is scared with
0: me. Uh, I've been on it when it's with her when it's on the normal parts, <laughs> but I've not okay. been on the ones that move back and forth. I'm going to have to double up on Dramamine for this night.
1: Okay. I'm, I'm hoping she she's scared of it so that we can both have fun and just mm. do it.
0: I'm uh, yeah, I'm scared of it too.
1: Okay, then let's all three of us. do Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, and then the, the games of the boardwalk will be open. They'll be free, but you won't get any prizes. You'll just get the. Aww. You'll get the. Uh, you know. You'll. You just know you're going to be a winner. The yeah. satisfaction. The satisfaction. You know. So that and this goes pretty long. I mean, it goes to one a.m. And what so date is this? This is this is on August fourth. Okay. So and then August fifth, there's a live podcast from Disney's California, Disney's Grand Californian Resort and um, Spa. So um, you have to, in order to attend the podcast, you have to you have to pay for the entire weekend. It's not like you can just show up at the podcast. It's all part. I'm sure you can
1: book it with Dreams Unlimited Travel and have some
0: absolutely. I already have because I'm a you know Disney Vacation Club member. I already have my villa. (laughs) booked there my my studio booked. so and then and then there'll be other things you know meet and greets with you know podcast team members and all that and so and that lasts until the sixth so i'm going to be at disneyland from the fourth until the seventh so um so there'll be details to watch the thread and i'm sure as we learn more we'll announce it on this show and um and also on our walt disney world show on tuesdays and um, but i'm looking forward to this it's been a while since we've had an event out in california yeah so and That's it so says good. oh it says um if you book a two night disneyland resort reservation with dreams unlimited travel you'll get priority access to purchase tickets to the event before the general public they're still working on getting um you know on room availability so um and then Tickets will go on sale to the general public a few months after we start. After they start selling the rooms, very nice. And uh, and if you're on, there's also a backstage magic Disney backstage magic um, adventures by Disney um, from July 30th to August 4th. If you are booked on that trip through Dreams Unlimited Travel, you get complimentary tickets to the um, event and the podcast.
1: What a great! Tour that was talk about connecting mm-hmm. with Walt, I felt like I connected with him a few times on that tour
0: my my dream is is someday for for the connecting with Walt team to be a host on one of those because uh, I think we could add so much more, not step on the toes of the adventures by Disney guides, but we could like afterwards meet in a lounge or somewhere and sure, we could sure. Add to plus we it, could talk it, we could, a little more. We could talk a little more about – we could build on what they've shared about Walt and the parks and the studio and all that. So I think it would be fun. And maybe I could even – like I did at Walt Disney World. I did a tour of um, the Magic Kingdom uh, on Main Street and all that, and I could do something similar.
1: I would love that.
0: That would be fun. I could
1: see them saying now, there's a bunch of people there. They were talking over by the carousel. Now they're crying. Oh, that's the connecting with Walt people. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, as long as we don't get in trouble with uh, security. No, no. We had to tell them that we were doing it for, uh, it was a, you know, it was a charity event for um, Give Kids the World, and then they let us do it. Oh. So, anyway, so, so, yeah, so I hope we'll see some of our Connecting with Walt friends out there, some of our listeners out there. And then did you see, John, what, and John, I hope I see you out there. Oh, I think for sure I'll be there. Good, 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 good. Did you see um, the list of 2022's top 15 streaming movies?
1: I did, only because you printed it out.
0: (laughs) What surprised you the most about it? There's a lot of Disney here. A lot of Disney. I mean, I think 10 of them or something were Disney. And, and, And a film that did not perform well at the box office is the number one by far, and that's Encanto. It didn't do
1: good at the box office. I thought it did.
0: No, it it didn't do. It it didn't meet expectations. Now, I don't know okay. who sets expectations, but it didn't meet them. And it was like, and it's by far, it's way beyond, like twenty seven point four one six minutes, wow. and that's in the billions, billions minutes viewed. Yeah. Then number two, mm-hmm.
1: I have to think that's children replaying music, maybe. For it to be that much, rep- that you know, for it to be so far yeah. ahead of the others.
0: Yeah, I would think so too. And then turning red is number two, and that's at eleven point four two seven billion minutes viewed. So big jump! Wow. And then Moana's number four. A uh, sing two is number three. I didn't see sing two. I never saw sing. So,
1: not not you know for non Disney, it's not bad. Oh, okay.
0: Then we jump down to number. Six for uh, number six on the list of Disney product is Hocus Pocus 2, which I watched. I liked it. I didn't like it as much as Hocus Pocus. Me but either. Yeah, it but I did still, like it. It
1: was enjoyable. My favorite was uh, the lady in the beginning. I forget, is it Hannah Waddington or Wada Hannington? The lady who played the good witch in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I
0: liked her. And then, and then number eight, you know, Frozen is still a powerhouse yeah. yep. there. And then Luca, I liked Luca. I loved it, it. Luca's number nine. I really enjoyed it. I wish it was more popular. It's one that I would like to see more of a presence in the parks. Agree. agree. I just thought it was a sweet, sweet story. And it was funny. Yeah. And then 11, 12 and 13 and 14 were all, um, Disney. Eleven is Zootopia, which I just watched in the last year. I rewatched it again. Love it. And then, yeah, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it too. I don't think Craig likes it. And then, one I really love, number twelve, Coco.
1: Ah, uh, my favorite Pixar, Coco, hands yeah.
0: down. I just watched it um, a couple months ago. It's now on my list. I'll watch it um, right after Halloween. That's still That's my watch. And then and then this surprised me, Eternals. I don't know that I saw it's that. Number 13. I did. Thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was uh, Marvel's strongest. And then number 14, Frozen. You 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 can't keep uh you can't keep Elsa down. Frozen 2. Yeah. So, um now I don't know how Disney makes I, I don't know how you make money off streaming. Uh on Disney's not right now. But I would think this would impact their, um, you know, selling DVDs and Blu-rays and all that.
1: Yeah, I guess that was slowing down already, and the subscription, you know, per month is still better. But I agree. There's there's always a hurt for the, you know, for the yeah. positive.
0: And I still like having the, you know, the, the hard copy. Although oh, I, I've yeah. sort of – dropped off of getting it i just bought I a conto not long ago
1: i gave up on needing the physical copies and just submitted to the digital realm and said okay
0: yeah my only concern is is that sometimes they they'll go away
1: <laughs> i think it, i think legally if you buy it though oh yeah. you're right with disney plus you're technically not buying. Yeah. yeah
0: yeah so you have to watch out if you really want it you have to buy it yeah. in some format and I, right. I feel safer having the physical copy.
1: Yeah. So, but at least there's not pick there to say, "Okay, everything's going in the vault today."
0: Yeah. <laughs> the vault. Yeah, but congratulations to Disney, having so yeah. many doing so well on Disney Plus. Let's hope they can just turn around the fortunes, Disney Plus, without yeah. raising the price yet again. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but. Well, I referred to several books, articles, and websites during my research for this episode. A couple of books. I read um, The Wonderful World of Disney Television, A Complete History by Bill Cotter, and Sunday Nights with Walt, Everything I Know I Learned from the Wonderful World of Disney by Richard Rothrock. Some websites had, websites had some good articles. Eyes of a Generation, Television's Living History, The Whole Story of Disney on Television. Then the Walt Disney Family Museum had an article, the the genesis of Disney television. Postcard Inspirations, Walt Disney and television. Nostalgia Central, the wonderful world of Disney. And the Disney Wiki, um, their article on the wonderful world of Disney. And TV Tropes, Walt Disney Presents. And Investopedia, Walt Disney, How Entertainment Became an Empire. So, John, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you?
1: And most everything is, is through the Diz now, where you could see me on the Diz Unplugged, the DVC show on YouTube, the DCL show on YouTube, and then my own website, bigfatpanda.com is my YouTube, but mostly from the Diz, panda at disneyinfo.com.
0: You can send me messages at michaelbowling at disneyinfo.com, Twitter, I'm at mbowling 121 Facebook, Michael Bowling-Connecting with Walt, Instagram, Michael Bowling, the Diz. and you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at ConnectingWalt. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at disneyplug.com look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother, Roy.